hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. It looks like everything is headed in the right direction. The S&P 500 posted its fifth consecutive gain for the week last week. More and more stocks are participating in the rally instead of just a handful like in years past. And in turn, investors have become more bullish. It's probably not surprising that when the market hits new highs, investors start to feel pretty good. And right now, investors are feeling pretty good. It's the breadth of the market that really stands out to me. So far this year, we've had broad leadership and a balance between the risk on and the defensive type of stocks. Well, that's allowing the market to build on the strongest nine-month advance for any year in the current bull market. I look down the list and I see the top five sectors since mid-year are the techs, real estate, industrials communication services, and consumer discretionary. Then you have three other sectors, financial services, consumer staples, and utilities. They're all up more than 20%. Just two, two. The healthcare and materials are up in the teens. Even the relatively beaten down energy stocks are up 8%. Just so the no good deed goes unpunished, healthcare, the sector with the best earnings per share growth is the second from the bottom in stock performance. And the tech earnings, which really haven't been that great, are at the top. That type of disconnect can't go on forever. And I've talked about several healthcare names like Johnson & Johnson, Merck, Regeneron, United Health. Talked about all these over the last few months, and I won't spend time on them today, but I think it'd be worthwhile to do some digging here. I know some of you are worried. Last year, a combination of trade fears and Fed policy tanked the market in the fourth quarter. The risk this year comes from Washington via the Ukraine. The impeachment proceedings, well, they continue to move ahead in the House, but really it appears likely to die in the Senate where two-thirds of the senators would need to vote to convict. Of course, we can't predict the outcome, but as I've said before, the market cares more about policies than it does politics. And if we shift away from politics, we see that the economy is continuing to move forward, albeit at a slow, subdued 2% pace. Earnings, are, earnings growth are soft, although they still remain at a high level. In some, the current environment supports this sort of, well, low simmer growth that has kept both stocks and the economy moving higher over the past decade. Although I do think we have some extra volatility thrown in there just to keep things interesting. And let me do a quick take, so to speak here, because someone sent me a question about Disney. And if you have a question, you can send it to podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. Disney released its streaming service this week. A lot of people are all amped up about this. And I'm not their target market, but I have to say on the surface, it looks like a pretty good product. They're offering a seven-day free trial if you're interested. And it's priced below most of the other streams. It's priced basically to capture a large market. The question was basically, 
how does the streaming wars play out for the House of Mouse? And I thought this was a great question because, you know, sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking it's a zero sum game where you have a winner and you have a loser. When I look at Disney's earnings, symbol Disney is DIS. When I look at Disney's earnings last week, what I saw was a healthy consumer demand. Contrary to what we've seen in some recent economic data, revenue for the fourth quarter was up 34% year over year to 19, well, to over $19 billion. Media network revenues, well, they improved 22% due to growth at the cable networks and the broadcasting segment. Parks and resorts, they were up 8% with higher guest spending offsetting lower attendance at Disneyland. And don't get work worked up about the flat attendance here, you know, just think hurricane. and That'll tell you what you need to know. Revenue at the studio improved 52% due to another strong theatrical quarter, which included The Lion King, Toy Story 4, and Aladdin. As for the streaming wars, I'm of the mind that more than one service can flourish here. I don't think it's a zero-sum game. Quickly, on Disney stock, I love owning it in portfolios, but I don't think I'd be a buyer here. It's trading at about 23 times a dollar's earnings. And just last year, it was trading as low as 12 times a dollar's earnings. So, yes, you've seen good earnings growth, but you've seen either even greater expansion of what people are willing to pay for a dollar of Disney's earnings. I love it, but I think it's overpriced. Heck, I think everything's overpriced because I'm cheap like that. Great company, but expensive. You have to imagine that all the streaming has to be good for telecom equipment makers. It's no secret I'm a Cisco fan, symbol CSCO. And I'll be very interested in seeing what they have to say when they announce earnings this week. Earlier this year, they reported seeing, well, little impact from the U.S. trade dispute with China. But its last quarterly results showed the business wasn't as resilient as everyone had originally thought. The company experienced weakness from Chinese service providers and enterprises due to the trade war. In fact, Cisco isn't even allowed to bid on projects anymore. And right now, the stock is trading hands at around $48 a share which is 17 times earnings. So not cheap, cheap, but somewhat reasonable. And it's paying close to a 3% dividend. What this stock does have is a fortress-like balance sheet with about $8 a share in cash on the books. That's what I'm talking about, fortress-like balance sheet. If you're a conservative long-term investor, heck, even if you're not, I think this is one that you should at least look at. Think about it this way. If you're trying to grow your portfolio at around 7% a year or so, so so that it doubles every 10 years, you know, the rule of 72. If you're trying to do that with Cisco, well, to start, you're getting a 3% dividend, which which means you need them to grow their earnings over the long term by about 4% a year, assuming there's no expansion or contraction of the multiple or what people are willing to pay for a dollar of their earnings. That's it. Nothing heroic, a 3% dividend, and 4% earnings growth. I think it's a long-term buy. I love that dividend. Actually, let's talk about dividends for a quick minute before we have to get out of here. People sometimes forget that over the long term, dividends make up a substantial portion 
of an investor's total return. And it's something that really shouldn't be overlooked. When I look for investments that offer both income and growth, like a, like a Cisco, I look at the sustainability of both. General rule of thumb would be the higher the yield, the lower the growth and vice versa. And I don't go chasing yield because if it seems too good to be true, well, then it probably is. I look at companies who are generating ample amounts of free cash flow and have a moderate payout ratio, which means that they can continue to increase that dividend over time. I also look at company that, companies that have a long history of paying out a consecutive dividend. And better yet, a company that has a long history of paying out an increasing dividend. I also want to make sure that the business is able to continue to grow in the future. For example, at the turn of the last century, it would have done you no good to have invested in the best buggy whip manufacturer just because it paid a high dividend. Well, because it was a dying business. If a company makes basic products that consumers need and they aren't likely to become obsolete, and that company has consistently grown at, say, 5 or 6% per year and paid a 3 or 4% dividend, well, you're looking at an 8 to 10% total return. And that's probably going to be pretty good, assuming investors are willing to pay the same multiple for a dollar of earnings. Okay, we've run out of time. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.